0: Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in car Wi Fi at slash in car Wi Fi and keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler 24
2: 7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hi, I'm Rick Tittle, and this is the Rick Tittle Podcast on the Eight Side Network. Join me as I get busy with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Rick Tittle and Jan Walwith here on Sports Byline, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. We've been talking to guests who will be attending CroftCon for Sid and Marty Croft. That's going to be the Orinda Theater out here in the East Bay on May 21st. And someone who will be attending is our next guest. That is Christopher Knight. And if you grew up when I did, I was born in the '60s. You watch the Brady Bunch, and you definitely know who Peter Brady was. But Christopher, let me ask you about this. Before the Brady Bunch, you were on Mannix. <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my that was my first uh, my first speaking
3: role. And uh, you know, I was just recently. It's an interesting uh, story. Just two weeks ago, a friend of mine, out of the blue, uh, gifted me with the entire Mannix. A library on DVD, and I hadn't—I hadn't. My memory of the, of that time is obviously a little flaky. I was eight years old, and I knew that it preceded the Brady Bunch because, and I knew that it was my first speaking role, and I knew who I was on with because later I would recognize them um, in series later that I watch more as an adult. Uh, Norman Fell, for one, mm-hmm. um, and. He he played the dentist. I was in a scene with. In, in any case, I, I I couldn't remember when it was exactly in the run of Mannix, and I was able to determine it by by getting this library, and I guess it was in 1968, and it was, I believe, in the first season of Mannix. Uh, yeah, so that was uh yeah, it, it's my magic rock. I think was my line, <laughs> and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday.
4: Wow, man, uh, this
3: is Jan Wall. I think it's great. You're a kid actor, and now. You know, you've made it to, I'm very good friends with John Provost, and he was Timmy on Lassie, and it's a tough road to uh, to make it as a child actor, and to somehow come out sober and straight and able to do things, and, um, you know, uh, what do you owe that to? Because you were a pretty big star, because you hit with the Brady Bunch. Well, I never, but it never it never went away, I mean, oh. that not, no, we'll let the star thing probably quite a bit, but the reality is this show is, is you know, it's transcended, it transcended its uh, original uh, design. I mean, it was entertainment for, for kids mm-hmm. uh, and adults, you know, light fair for a Friday night. Yeah. And now it's, uh, it's sort of a touchstone. It's Americana. It's the last of a genre, if you will. Right. Plus they there's, made there's... Some, some pretty good movies uh, since about <laughs> Did you see the two yeah. Brady Bunch movies? They're pretty good. They're you know the completely different uh, Mm -hmm. uh, style. I mean, obviously, fish out of water story, where ours wasn't really a story about. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't an anthology. It was a story about a family. You know, it just it was. You know, leaping forward from a time of vaudeville and slapstick, um, you know, to more realistic comedies that uh, would dramedies of the of the eighties and nineties, and we're stuck somewhere in the middle in a rather rebellious period in this country's development. Um, uh, and, Did you know it was you know, a huge, Not necessarily uh-huh. taking all that in, but the sweetness that is, that is family when it operates correctly.
0: And you knew the father was gay?
3: Did I know that Robert Reed was gay? No. I, you know, okay. Robert never w- was out of the closet with being ah, gay. Okay. Um, so uh, his... Being gay now doesn't... You know, seems to be all that important. Um, mm-hmm. But he ne- he never claims himself to be. I don't. I think it's accepted that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was his personal decision. And no, I didn't. I matter of fact, I did, I, there was issues between Robert and Sherwood, our producer, with respect to the type of fare that was written. Um, and as an actor, sometimes he had he had difficulty with the scripts. I, and I know my, uh, my Brady brothers and sisters also had no idea of the level of disconnect between Robert Reed and Server because they kept it from me. That well, was all behind, I mean, as much as, um, sometimes in Hollywood there's, you know, very, very real, um, disagreement that uh-huh. can be, Publicized in our case, right in front of us, it wasn't even seen. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- there was a real effort on our yeah. show uh, to have the set be a, a wholesome place for kids. Uh, even the, even the, the the crew when they came and did, you know, to do our show, were were reminded of that. Their hours would be different. That was one of the attractions for some of the crew. Who are on a clock? I mean, they, you know, some younger crew members would love to have overtime, but you're not going to get much on the Brady Bunch because most of the kids, well, all the kids have to be done by six o'clock. Oh. And, uh, and there's very few scenes without the kids, which would be then done after the kids are dismissed. So you're not going to, you know, have to work late. And that was attractive to a lot of crew members. But at the same time, also, you, you, you know, had to use different language.
2: So, Christopher, when you're at CroftCon at the Orinda Theater on May 21st and somebody walks up and says, it's time to change, do you say, look, that was a long time ago or do you embrace it?
3: I uh, know I embrace
2: I embrace it all. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's kind of...
3: I, it, it's just, I did for a moment in my life run from it. I was expecting it to disappear as though it was an adversary. And then, you know, it's... It, I don't know. Like the light went off, and I realized that you know all it really engenders is this wonderful feeling of brotherhood. Uh, you know, I the the biggest confrontation I have from it is that people come up to me and as though I know them. You know, they know me <laughs> like I'm a member of the family, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I it's you know that's a gift uh, to be given. It's not like um, people all smile and want to shake my hand. So it's like they want that kind of friendship is not um, is not imparted on many individuals. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, with when, when Time to Change it had its own personal uh, connotations for me, because at the time, I, I, I took it as an affront. I thought it was a way of pointing out that Chris Knight has no musical talent. <laughs> uh, but now I laugh at it. I mean, the show works in it its uh, context. Um, and... You know, just, I'm very proud to have been part of it, and that, in fact, this thing it still kind of exists and tickles, tickles people. I mean, Barry Williams and I, uh, you know, just started a podcast this year. To do what? To do episodic uh, review of the show itself, 50-some-odd years after the fact. What we do is we sit down, we watch the show, maybe the first time we've watched it in 50 years, uh, we watch it separately, and then we do a podcast on on what we saw in that show. It made it, it was Completely clear to, clear to us in doing the HGTV, uh, very Brady renovation project that we, the six of us, Brady, um, cast, see the show very differently than our, than our fans do. Our fans have been watching the show repetitively for 50 years. We don't necessarily watch it, um, and never really can consume it, you know, like an audience can, um, objectively. But as time goes by, it gets, it gets at least more possible to w- watch it objectively. So what we're doing is we're catching up to where our fans have been watching these shows over the years. And interestingly, and fun for us and our reminiscing, we have those recollections from behind the camera to share with the audience. But we're watching the show and remembering things. Uh, and sharing things that we never shared with each other. Wow, that would uh, be amazing to hear. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah, will get any residual. And and, the real Brady.
2: Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. Uh, we want to make sure that you tell us about CroftCon. As I mentioned, it's going to be on the 21st, from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. at the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California. What are you going to be doing there, Christopher?
3: I'm going to be doing a question and answer. Uh, you know, Derek Zemris, who is the founder oh, of CroftCon, is wonderful. You know, so, um You know, uh, involved with the Orinda Theater. Gorgeous theater. Gorgeous. And helping, and helping to preserve it and support it. And that's the reason we're up there. This, this whole event is in support of the Orinda Theater. Um, Derek knows Butch Patrick. He knows me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess in a conversation he had with Butch Patrick about doing something to help the theater, they came up with this idea that ultimately now is, is CroftCon, a, a way to, celebrate our childhood i guess they're going to be serving fil- uh, cereal uh, on television trays it, it, um, so this is going to take us all back to our you know our childhood when we, we sat around the television on saturday morning you know watching sigmund and the sea monster um, so all of the cross legendary characters um will be there Sid and marty will be there um it, it, it's it's just going to be a wonderful event, bringing us back—you uh, know, a nostalgic event, bringing us back to our childhood. Yeah. Oh, and that theater is the theater. gorgeous. Yeah.
2: Speaking uh, of uh, Sigmund, I had uh, Johnny Whitaker on the show yesterday. So everybody, get out there! Tickets available at Eventbrite.com. There'll be a costume contest as well. First prize is two hundred bucks. And make sure to check out Christopher Knight. Hey, Christopher, thanks for coming on, man. We thank appreciate you,
3: Christopher.
2: It. No, it my pleasure. And uh, Derek says hi, Derek. I love
0: Derek. Thank you. You're right, a wonderful uh, guy.
2: You're listening to the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network. Stay tuned for more. Witness the
0: dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City.
2: and it is seasoned actor Trey Chaney, you know him on HBO's "We Own This City," and he also has a new movie coming out this Friday the thirteenth called "We Need to Talk." Trey, welcome to the uh, the show. And I think about in the pandemic is so hard for people to to get gigs, but uh, you've been working strong, huh?
5: Yeah, man. I'm so honored to be on with you all, too, man. And this is this is an exciting time for me because you know been in this business 25 plus years you know you you all met me when i was 20 in 2002 playing poop mm-hmm. on the HBO series the wire and now 20 years later i'm playing this police officer gordon hawk on hbo hbo max we own this city and you know in between those two different roles now i have we need to talk where i'm this video gamer tango Unchained, (laughs) and it's a you know for me it's a comedy it's a drama it's i leave this film you know when i look at it i say this is all about balance because we all have careers and we have to separate that sometimes from the real life which is family and friends so you know with this this film that todd wolf wrote and directed I, i just i had to be a part of it and James Maslow is in it from Big Time Rush. I'm so honored to work with him and and just the whole entire cast is awesome.
2: I remember when you got that job at Foot (laughs) Locker, (laughs) man.
5: Yeah, look, it's so funny, man, because that's, you know, every single day, it's not a day that goes past that people don't say, Poot, how's the job at Foot Locker going? And I'm like, man, this is crazy. Or, Or they say, Well, he went from managing Foot Locker to being a police officer 20 years later, you know, (laughs) on on We Own the City. So I'm just, man, just to to be able to speak like that and say 20 years later, you know, a lot of people, you know, this business is so tough. And for me to, you know, be fortunate enough to be able to still navigate through and, you know, book these jobs, man, and, and people, you know, respecting the work and I respect you know, filmmakers and directors and writers. I'm just I'm I'm honored.
2: Well not many people got off that orange couch to a real job, man. We were proud of Poot. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. I, I need to I need to find where that orange couch is. They said it's at a museum in Baltimore and I'm gonna <laughs> find
2: it.
5: I'm gonna go take some pictures on that couch, man.
2: Oh, uh, one One more question about the wire. Remember Keenan Thompson said uh he said, you know, black people like the wire he's like, White people, they really like the wire it's like did you find that true? <laughs>
5: you know what man, the the wire is the culture. You know, in whatever whatever race or whatever like whatever person, man, woman, kids, children, it's the culture. So everybody likes the wire. It's mm-hmm. a mixed type of feel when it comes to who loves the wire. And it's not a day that goes past and you know that, that I, like I said I leave my house and all types of people come up to me man i mean i got people in australia right now reaching out talking about poop. and i'm like wow <laughs> this is this, this is a culture classic we it's a cult following we have our own little like like circle of, of people around the world that just go crazy every time i post something about the wire
2: i know and what's funny is that you know i'm from Uh, Oakland which gets a bad rap and I think a lot of time people think Baltimore and they go oh no Hamsterdam it's like it ain't all like that
5: (laughs) yeah that's true yeah it's just a show
2: (laughs) no doubt well let's talk about a little bit more about uh, we need to talk it sounds cool Tango underscore unchained you are a gamer and this is uh, is a comedy right
5: yeah man it's a comedy Todd Wolf wrote it he directed it me and Todd go back you know he's been my brother, man, for over 10 years now. Our first film that we worked on together was a film called Street, and that starred Meek Mill. And I just kept in contact with Todd all of these years, and I knew we were going to eventually work together again. So when he approached me with um, We Need to Talk, you know, before I was even cast, I read the story, and I was like, wow, this, this is a whole nother world. You know, this is the video gaming world of how these people... Their whole day is still just playing video games. But the, the message is you could spend so much time on a game until you neglect your family, your friends. And that's not, that's not the message that we want to send. Mm-hmm. We want to show the outcome of, okay, I, it takes me back to that word about balance. And then, you know, when you think about my character, Tango Unchained, look, without me even trying to be funny, I come off as funny. Just, I mean, that, and that's just Todd's <laughs> way of writing. It, it's amazing. I'm a character. I still live at home with my mom. You know, I, I get allowance. <laughs> you know, like a grown man just living in the house, and mm-hmm. and, and I sit on that video game and just talk trash and, and joke around with my friends on the game all day. You know, so it's 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 so funny, man. I'm just I was just glad that I was able to portray this character in the tie. And the whole entire crew just trusted me to play Tango Unchained. And I got to keep my beard. <laughs> you know, that's a big part of my, my look now. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yo, I got to keep the beard, Todd. I
2: can't cut this,
5: man. This is how I'm getting casted for roles.
2: So, and I think when you're playing, I mean, we all play video games. What w- what was your go to video game or two growing up?
5: Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The um, last time I was really playing video games was, of course, and We Need to Talk, but. I grew up on Atari, Sega Genesis. I played all of the the basketball games and mm-hmm. football games and Madden and stuff like that. But now, you know, I had to get used to playing video games again when I got booked for we need to we need to talk. And I guess Call of Duty was was definitely yep. the the ultimate go to. And, and Todd and him had to walk me through that and teach me all of the the, the certain movements how to play so so I could pull this character off right now I just I said man you know what this you know just being able to 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 jump into that world of video gaming it was fun and right now my go to it, it it has to be Call of Duty
2: no doubt no I mean it, it's funny I was looking um the other day at this uh blog and and someone was on your side saying you know uh Poot is a character who has so much to offer and he doesn't get the love he deserves. Do you think Poot gets enough love?
5: You know what? I really do. I, I think he gets enough love now. You know, and um <laughs> yeah, na now, now he does. I mean he probably of course, I don't even think nobody on the show or the show got love when it was on. Right. Um it's almost like a wait your turn type of deal when it comes to Poot and the wire. It's like Man, I waited twenty plus years to really for people to really recognize, you know, the talent, to, to recognize what we did, how we we're a part of history and you know, the wire being the most groundbreaking television show. It's like now we're getting that love, but it, it, it just lets me know, man, it was worth it. It was worth hanging in there, it was worth staying the course. And again, twenty something years later, now I'm working back with the same team. From the wire.
2: Yeah. And and back on HBO, we're talking about, you know, uh, as you said, Gordon Hawk, and we own this city, critically acclaimed. And I want to make sure everybody check check out We Need to Talk, as uh, our guest, Trey Chaney, plays Tango Unchained. Hey, Trey, man, thanks for coming on and good talking to you. Hey, man, thank you for everything. You're listening to the Rick Tittle podcast on the 8 Side Network. Stay tuned for more.
0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
2: It's our pleasure to welcome to the show filmmaker Greg Carter, who's producer of a new movie out right now from 1091 Pictures called Until We Meet Again. Greg, welcome to the show. I love the, the, uh, the way it's described, a romantic musical ghost movie. That's a pretty interesting category. Tell us more.
6: Well, you know, the one thing about the movie, it feels like there's some things that are similar about it. If you've ever seen um, uh, Ghost, the movie back a couple of years ago, you have a beautiful young antagonist who is, uh, in this particular case, she's an artist. And uh, she's moving into a house, but she's a, uh, she's a musician trying to make it in L.A. She gets into a situation where she gets this huge house in the hills that she can stand because she's house-sitting, right? And uh, when she gets there, she finds out that she has a problem, a pest problem, but it's not, a, it's not an insect or a vermin. It's a ghost. <laughs> so she has to try to uh, deal with it. But instead of in a scary way, it turns out that there's a, there's a sweet connection between the uh, lost spirit and, uh, and the, and the, uh, the person moving into the house.
2: Tell us a little bit more about uh, Janelle Parrish, because we saw her in Pretty Little Liars as the uh, main protagonist.
6: Well, Janelle is one of those type of uh, uh, actors, uh, performers, who uh, really just brings it all when she's doing a performance or a movie or whatever she does. And uh, in this particular case, you know, people don't realize that Janelle is actually one of those Triple Threat. Now, let me explain to the listeners what Triple Threat is. That means that you not only can act, not only can you dance, but you can also sing. So uh, she she uh, carried a lot of weight in being able to do all those different things. Uh, she had to sing. Uh, and, of course, people know she can dance, but, uh, but, but she, she had to sing as well in this movie. And uh, I think she did a brilliant job.
2: Very cool. I was looking at the cast, and uh, Michael Madsen. We know him from the Quentin Tarantino movies, and Donnie Brasco, and and the funny thing is, is I, I heard him on a radio show, and and he almost seemed just as scary in real life. So you'll probably tell me, you'll probably tell me he's the big sweetheart teddy bear now.
6: Yeah, he pretty much is. that You know, the one thing about uh, Michael is that he's been in the business. Uh, for Since Forever, and uh, he brought, uh, you know, when you have uh, younger actors who are in your leads, it's great to have some anchors. Uh, you know, not only did we have Michael, but we also had uh, just wonderful performance, performances by Leslie Jordan in the movie, Antonio Fargas. I mean, they were just great. And our director, uh, Pesha Bingo, just did a fantastic job of weaving Everything. Uh, it was funny because we uh, uh, we we had so many different things that we had to do to get the film ready to come out. And you know, when your director is a perfectionist, you try to you try to pick your points where you go and try to uh, push him to get things down the road. But uh, but ultimately, it was a great situation. And Michael is like I like I said, he's he's a sweet guy. Uh, I'm I'm a pretty big guy. I'm like six five. So maybe just because I was a big guy, it was nice to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That could be it, too. Um, And then, you know, as you say, in in today's world, well, what's it like trying to not just, you know, make a movie during a a pandemic, distribute it, and, uh, you know, it's uh, all the challenges there?
6: You know, the one thing about the pandemic and what it did was it, acted in a way to kind of uh, reset the button as far as the power being in the hands of the distributors are, in this particular case, the streaming platforms. The streaming platforms really had such a backlog of different things that they had. And at the same time, not only did they have a backlog, but then... Uh, it was really easy for you to have lucrative deals that come from people like uh, for, for bigger talent. Uh, But then when it comes to smaller uh, productions and, and producers who are, are not necessarily opening on um, on, 4th of July weekend in theaters, they would be able to have the ability to have leverage over those people. So, Hey, even going to take this offer and not take it uh, because there was not really the one thing that the streaming platform did was it took away the leverage of the indie film being four-walled or even the film festival for that matter. It, so you pretty much got to deal with them. But 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 the one good thing about the uh, about the pandemic, if you, if I can say this from an entertainment stand of view, uh, the production was shut down for so long that all the films that a company might have projected to be delivered in 2020 or 2021, um, they ran through all those movies (laughs) and then all of a sudden it became in a weird way a seller's market. And so making an independent film like this, when you walk into it, you now have more ability to have, uh, 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 a say in different things. And so in that particular case, with an indie film such as uh, As uh, Until We Meet Again, uh, we were able to pair with a really terrific uh, distributor 1091 that really fights for the filmmaker and really did the things they needed to do to make sure that we had uh, the best placement we can get. Uh, and so that, that's exciting when you have a distributor on like 1091 that's an advocate.
2: No doubt. Can you take us behind the curtain a little bit? And I'm sure you could talk all day about this, but you know, we know what the director does and the director of photography, and the actors, but the producer, you got to wear so many hats. Like, do you deal with the unions and the craft services and workers comp and stuntmen, site locations, uh, equipment, like what are all the things, you know, getting the investments, making sure everybody's happy. <laughs>
4: uh,
6: yeah, pretty much all of the above there.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
6: so we, so so, so the, your day starts early in the morning and it doesn't end until late at night. You're normally the first one on the set and the last one to leave. And that's just part of what you got to do. Uh, technically, as a producer, and I'm doing my little air quotes when I say that, mm-hmm. you're responsible for everyone who works in front of the camera and behind the camera. And so you're, you know, when it comes time to bring people to the table getting deals negotiated, whether that's with the crew or with the cast. That's your job. And, you know, in this particular case, you got to shepherd this baby all the way from when we start shooting until the time that it gets out. And that includes being very active in the promotion and distribution. I think one of the things that makes, uh, you know, filmmaking is funny. Um, and I say this because it's it's an enigma. You know, the, the biggest part of of, of of making a movie isn't production it's just that production is the most visible part of making a movie uh, but there's so many things that happen before cameras roll and then when cameras have stopped rolling and you're editing all that stuff can be a tremendous huge amount of uh, time and resources and so you know the producer should be able to be there in the trenches and be the um, uh, the advocate for the what has no voice in this, which is the script in the movie. I, I should be be able to go in there and have conversations with the director about, hey, I think we should trim this scene. This is not right. Uh, we need to make it uh, tighter. Or with the with the distributor, say, hey, you're not going to do this film like that. You're going to give me this or give me that. So you you have to be pretty much the voice in the mouthpiece, and it, and it can be tough, but it's a very rewarding job, and I, I truly enjoy it.
2: Very cool. Last question for you. You know, we always see, you know, or multiple times we'll see uh, the credits and they'll list 10 producers and five executive producers. And I just wonder how many, like, oh, we'll give you an EP credit if you do this today. And then, like, how much power do you have? Because it's like, why do, you know, it's just like, do they throw away, throw around these titles willy-nilly sometimes? Yeah,
6: you know, that sometimes happens, uh, you know, those who are listening in the film business, you know, this is a truly collaborative effort. Um I used to, not only, when I don't produce, I direct myself. And one of the things I throw around uh, from time to time when I'm talking to people with my director hat on, I'll say, well, the thing about being a producer, if things go right, you get all the credit. <laughs> but when things go wrong, you get all the blame. Mm. <laughs> so 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 i I also liken that to the process, which is there will always be a lot of uh stakeholders. You just hope that everyone is pointed in the right direction, which is to make the best movie possible, as opposed to tribalism and this is mine and this is mine and this and that. Uh, i I've worked on films uh before where there's a lot of people getting credits, but they're not really doing anything. Ah, it goes with the territory, that's fine. But what you truly hope is that no one is doing anything uh, disruptive from making the best set possible.
2: All right, and that film is called Until We Meet Again, brand new available from 1091 Pictures on all digital platforms. We've been speaking with the producer, Greg Carter. Thanks for your time. Congratulations on the project.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
2: This has been the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8Side Network.
1: Or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services.
0: You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them.